welcome to this very special series of Start Somewhere for COP26, the climate emergency. And it is an emergency. And I am so thrilled uh, to introduce my incredible guest who is uh, just astounding. Her, her courageousness, her, her inspiration is just, just legendary. And she is the awesome Dr. Gail Bradbrook, who is co-founder of Extinction Rebellion, Hi, how are you, Gail? It's so good to see you. Oh, thank you for that introduction. That's quite humbling, to say the least. Um, I am fine, thank you, today. Yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. And as you know, I always ask, you know, how did you get started in life? Were, were, were there the elements of early activism in, 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 in your childhood? You know, did you have a great passion for the, for the planet and, and animals growing up? Yeah, I did. Um, so I came come from a very traditional working class background in Yorkshire. My dad was a coal miner. He didn't want my mum to work, for example. Mm. He did let her eventually and she worked part time. So it was very traditional background. And I joined the Green Party age 14 and I was part of setting up Green Party students as a sixth former. So, you know, watching the young activists and feeling something and especially feeling for those that might have a different, uh, you know, more marginalised background. Because actually when I went to university and I was around the sort of green group, I I gravitated more to a more animal rights type of focus. I found the sort of green spaces. I didn't think it consciously, but I didn't feel like I fit in. And I think that was a bit of a class reaction, you know. Um, but really... I think there's a sort of consciousness emerges in children around age nine and around that age, I had the sense that there was something that I wanted to do in life that felt significant around social change. So it, 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 and it sort of feels a bit weird saying that if I'm really honest, I'm like hesitant saying it, but it's true. I did have that sense from a young age. No, and I totally get it. I mean, you know, even when I was at the um, the youth court interviewing some of these young activists, you know, but barely in double digits, you know, they were telling me that they, you know, had found, you know, they'd had this revelation when they were seven years old. So I, I really believe that, and I, I, I think, you know, me as a seven year old had a, had a very connected kind mm. of feeling about, you know, justice climate animals yeah. <laughs> and I was very close to that I think it was probably the the, the the years when I went into kind of work and got a bit lost you know in the system you know is is, 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 is kind of the interesting bit of the journey and then popped out the other end you know just going what 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 on earth was that all of that about so I, t- I totally get it and so like Gail how did you find you know your purpose you know like like you know you obviously I mean there you were as a green you know, party sort of activists and then into animal rights. So, so kind of, ha- you know, what happened then? You know, like, like, like how, how, did, how did kind of Extinction Rebellion come about? It's one of those journeys, isn't it? That can, you, can, you can give the two-minute version or the two-hour version. I'll try and do something in between. But, for, you know, from my perspective, uh, I, you know, went, and I went off and studied science and I found that really difficult, again, as a working-class woman in, in the science yeah. world. And I was spending a lot of my spare time doing activist-type things at university, although quite focused on peer counselling as well, working on the sort of deeper levels of trauma that this society brings to us in our own particular journeys within that. So there's always been a bit of a kind of path of 
curiosity and of self-development, I suppose, and of, you know, interest in how the world works, in our place in it, how change happens. And I went the sort of semi-traditional route after leaving science. I spent a lot of time crying in laboratories, in the toilets, to be really honest. Um, So bless any young women that are trying to do science. I hope it's got better. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I went that more traditional route of working for charities and the NGO world. And I learned a lot doing that. And I was also, you know, doing different versions of activism. I supported the tax justice movement. Yeah. Um, I started something called Street School Economics. I got obsessed with economics for a while. Um, and I think it was sort of 2010, uh, having read some specific information from George Mumbio that I felt we have to go into mass civil disobedience and it became such a, a calling yeah. um, that this change isn't going to come from polite protest. And, you know, it took uh, six years to find the people to do that with. And it's, I, you know, if you want to get a bit hippie about it, it's almost like the universe is going, do you really mean it? No, do you really mean it? Right, right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like a big thing to put out there. And, and yeah, you're tested and challenged on these things. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, and, and, and so I think also I was just trying to do several things at the same time. I mean, I was involved in renovating a beautiful old house, which was a joyful thing to do and somehow actually enabled me to uh, do some of the profit from that, really, to, to do some of the life that I've, I've chosen to do. But um, and you know, I'm a mother of two boys, uh, and I was working as well. And then I was trying to do activism, and it was kind of like I knew that I needed to focus on, if you like, you know, we're talking about purpose here, aren't we? Yeah. And it's it's it was the way I've described it. It's a bit like you've got your foot on a bank, and you've also got another foot in a boat, yes. and you're sort of going. I got to get in the boat. And I had the great privilege of being friends with and working around Polly Higgins, who was the woman who worked on ecocide law and her work carries on through my friend Jojo Mater, a great woman to interview, by the way. Yeah, and and she's she's on the series. (laughs) Great, great, bless her. So, um, and I, I, you know, to to be around people who've really made that choice to step, step on the boat, if you like, and the the way that I ended up doing it, and I'm not recommending this particularly, yeah. was that I I did, and it's out there this story, but I did a psych, psychedelic journeys over the course of two weeks. And I had worked, I call them medicine plants in the tradition in the indigenous traditions. They're called medicine plants, and it is literally like throwing your consciousness, not like you're throwing your consciousness off a cliff and 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 praying for what you want. So it 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 was. Um, I, w- I went to a retreat centre and there was a big carbon footprint involved in that. I still get critiqued for, there you go, we're not perfect. Um, I went, it's not legal here, that's part of the problem, right? And it, it, so yeah. some of it was to do internal healing work. I knew there was something in me that needed dealing with. And I worked with um, Iboga uh, on a flood dose of Iboga, which... Re, did a brain rewiring and the, I, you know if you if you sort of google my name and and um breaking convention you'll get the bigger story there it was an incredible journey very scary 
are very beautiful. And then I worked with the sort of Cambo and three ayahuascas, and that was all in the space of two weeks. So two iboga free. You know, oh my God. Um, I, don't, I honestly, I don't think I could have been more frightened if I'd been going to my death. I, I mean, it, it is a death medicine, the Bogue, it's used in that way. Yes. Uh, and it, it came up with the goods, you know, um, the next steps, and it cleared some things out that needed clearing out. So um, incredible, incredible. And, and, and effectively, you came out of that with a plan. <laughs> Um, you know, w- w- you know, you had a vision for, for, for what you wanted to do. Well, I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the interesting bit of the story, and there's lots of different parts to it, but was that I'd listened to Terence McKenna, who's a bit of a famous psychonaut, right? And he was talking about there being codes in the higher consciousness. And I would like to, to say and think that I'm quite open-minded um, spiritually. I don't understand it. I come from a tradition in the UK um, that's, that's been shaped by indigenous wisdom where there's prayerfulness and, you know, I'm interested in the physics of David Bohm. My first husband was a Britain's best physicist. You know, there's, like a, there's, a, there's potentially sort of like interest in science here between the way science and spirituality come together. So I don't really fully understand it. I think there's something innocent that you can bring to prayer and curiosity and openness. Um and so based on what Terence had said, I was like, OK, what are the codes for social change? You know, this is what I'm needing. I want to clear anything in me that's in the way. And there's something that I'm not getting here. I don't understand how to do this. I'd already set up a website called Compassionate Revolution. And I tried so many times to find people to work with. And I, as soon as I got back, I was trying to start a mass tax disobedience. One of the many things that didn't work, by the way. <laughs> and... Um, and I was sharing that in various networks. And through that, I met Roger Hallam. He explained his research to me. And at the end of a four-hour intensive meeting with him, he said, I, I said, this is perfect. This is what I needed to know right now. And he said, well, basically, Gail, what I've just given you here are the codes for social change. Wow. It was the exact words of the prayer, right? And it was like, it still gives me hairs on the back of my neck to tell that story. Gail. Yeah, because it, it was almost like the universe was going, we're going to have to get him to use the words so you can see that we're delivering on this prayer. And this, my practice is to innocently pray for support on, on a regular basis when things are stuck. And, um, and who knows, you know, whether it's to do with neuroplasticity in the brain or the, the consciousness is beyond our minds, I, I, I've no idea. And I, I do feel this um, something bigger that supports us in this journey of change. And it's a, it's a mystery what's happening in the world right now. The universe is just this incredible mystery, isn't it? It's beautiful. It, 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 really, it really is. And, and you know, I, I have a great deal of interest in consciousness and, and raising consciousness in, in, in the world. And I think you've expressed it so beautiful in this extraordinary sort of intersection between science and consciousness. And then these huge unknowns. This like magical unknown that we, you know, and was it? I don't know, like the CERN project where they worked out that kind of about ninety over ninety percent of the matter was just unidentifiable. <laughs> yeah, dark, dark matter and dark energy. <clears throat> there's, there's there's quite there's quite a lot of unknown. You know, well, I'll tell you another story actually from that time because as I mentioned to you, my first husband's called Jeff Forshaw, and he writes books with Brian Cox, right? And we went to uh, work at university together and. Um, 
When I took this taster session of the Boga, I went into absolute despair. It was horrendous. I've only been there once before when I went on a sort of 10-day meditation retreat. And the, oh, but I was getting these downloads, one which turned out to be about kind of the interaction between <clears throat> your pain pathways in your body and your neural networks and so on. And I'm doing work with Skeena Rathor, another person I recommend you interview on, 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 on trauma and how it shows up and works in the body. And there was a bit deep healing on that. The other thing that happened was I was getting this image of a, of a pulsating geometry creating new bits of universe, right? And I was wow. I was sort of like, you know, the thing is I was so pissed off, if you don't mind a bit of swearing. <laughs> I was like, well, you know, that would be interesting if I didn't feel so bloody awful. Um, <laughs> And then just a few months later, I'm talking to Jeff about his latest book that was writing with Brian Cox uh, called Universal. And he's explaining to me about where particle physics is at because he worked on the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. And he said to me, you know, Gail, uh, we used to talk about this theory of everything, which, by the way, as a chemist and and somebody done molecular biophysics, I thought was rather arrogant from the physicists anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't explaining society and economics and all the rest of it. But this theory of everything, he said, we now jokingly call it the theory of anything because you can have all these different points that, just before the Big Bang and, they, you know, they can sort of explode and they can make different universes. It depends on the starting conditions and the laws of physics. And basically, then he starts doing this pulsating thing with his hands. And he said, the maths of it is called the Kalabi Yao and it's this geometry and it's creating the multiverse. And he just described what I'd seen on this download, you know. And you're like, where the hell did that come from? You know, how did that work? I, I just don't get it. And, you know, obviously... In the indigenous traditions, there are other ways of knowing. Yes. And I, you know, I really recommend if people haven't watched it, Jill Balty Taylor's TED Talk, A Stroke mm-hmm. of Insight, you know, where she, she literally shows you the two brains that you have in your head. Yes. And uh, the, and there's a difference between them. And, the, the, and, and, and you, you know, again, what, what a mystery. And what a mystery that we are destroying life on Earth. <laughs> you know, it's extraordinary when you put it at that level and 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 you know I find it I mean personally I find it astonishing because I think for you know and you talked about indigenous culture we've we've kind of forgotten why we're here we've forgotten you know like our role as the guardian of all of this and almost like yeah the gardener if you like and 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 we've kind of We've we've completely asserted ourselves over nature and disassociated ourselves yeah. from it completely, and mm-hmm. we've completely forgotten that everything we eat, breathe, drink—I don't know—exists as, and that we are we are nature. I mean, what are we like? Ninety percent water. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. even I think that you know the police force recognised that there are more crimes near full moons. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was some science actually where they, they were dream scientists and they tried to disprove the moon thing. And it was like, nope, the moon does hugely impact people. So, uh, yeah, I'm very excited actually about Paul Hawkins' new book, Regeneration. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's he's saying what other people have been saying. Charles Eisenstein, I think, is a real big uh, influencer and brilliant writer and it's speaking to, you know, uh, Sherry Mitchell's. There are lots of people out there saying it in different ways and it, it's speaking to this 
new old wisdom, really, uh, for these times. Probably the most beautiful book I've read in a long time is Robin Wall Kimmerer's book, Braiding Sweetgrass. Um, I haven't read that. I, I will have to have to read that. Thank you for that recommendation. Yeah, but uh, it, 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 it is like that. This, there is this moment, you know, where where so many people are getting this information and 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 acting. And and so, Gail, you met Roger. <laughs> he gives you the the keys to 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 creating change. What happened then? You know, I, I, him and I were working uh, together, uh, meeting with other people, experimenting. That went on for a couple of years and a small group of us were kind of consistently meeting up every few months to think about how to bring about mass civil disobedience. And, you know, I don't think any of us really particularly believed it was going to happen, but we're going to try. I mean, I think that is one of the geniuses of Roger and he's I often call him our biggest asset and our worst liability (laughs) of a guy um but his his level of ambition and focus is is um a a piece uh uh, that's important that we have to believe in ourselves you know I mean just to speak back to the Paul Hawken bit by the way the regeneration I mean there's something here that's so important that we were trying to bring through with the principles and values that I did most of the writing for for Extinction Rebellion, which is the, the need to reconnect, the need to reconnect to ourselves, to a regenerative cultures, to, uh, you know, our diversity of human family. And um, it's not necessarily easy work because there is something that we carry and you can call it a wound, a trauma and so on. So, you know, I, I think that, what Roger brought was a very systematized focus on how to um, mobilize and bring people together. And I think that the, the piece that is still remains to be done well and is a challenge, and that's because that's the challenge before us, is how to bring the family of life back together, you know, how to reconnect with the family of life, because this is goes way beyond changing a few government policies. We've, we've designed an economic system that's destroying life on earth and we've disempowered so many of us. We've colonized ourselves and other people in many ways, you know, the so it's, it's, um, it's both a, a really incredibly difficult, job but as Paul lays out in that book at every level there's something to be done so there's no stuckness and you don't need to wonder about you know what's your place in this there is a place for us all and I I think that's why that book's really inspiring and actually I mean that leads me on to I mean yeah Paul Paul is extraordinary and that leads me on Gail to to really the question about like you know why is the inclusion of women an underrepresented minorities at the decision-making table so important? Yeah. Um, and, well, it's interesting to define what we mean by the decision-making table because let's make our own tables, right? <laughs> There's this kind of... I, 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 I'm not at all... You know, I'm not even going to COP for various reasons, but I, some people in exile will be going. But I, I don't 
recognise the so-called leaders as leading us anywhere other than over a cliff. And so what tables do we want to be at together? Really, the kitchen table is a table to be together at. Um, why do we need to be together? I think the, I, I call it the, sometimes call it the patriarchal system, sometimes the domination paradigm. I mean, this is just different language you can use. And I don't mean about men. Yeah. I don't it, mean it's about like men. It's the war machine. I mean, it's, 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 it's built on a war principle. Yeah, it? yeah. Like, and it's, yeah, yeah. And it's effective and, it, and, it, and it's a self-correcting system, you know. So, and, it, and I think it has such an incredibly negative impact on men um, yes. that is less, discussed um I, I the sense I have you know because I you know my identity is like as a human being first and foremost but and a spiritual being but you know as as a woman with a working class background also I'm you know cis uh, and, and, and heterosexual and white so I, you know I have experiences of to use that language being in the sort of oppressor role and the uh the the role that's more um, it's, it's finding the right language here. Actually, this is the work that my colleague Skeena's doing on co-liberation. It's like how we pull our together, togetherness piece back together. And I, I, I guess the sense I have is that the system leaves each of us with damage and each of us with some aspect of our humanity intact. And there is something in the paradigm of whiteness that, is not seeing something. <laughs> I mean, it's generalizing. Uh, there's something um, that the sisterhood in its healing work that it's been doing for the last few years, and I've been part of that, sitting with that full moon, actually, most many months uh, around a fire with sisters reconnecting. You know, there's some work that the women have been doing. There's something that we're holding. Um, that's, uh, as Nikki Kashtan calls it, the softer qualities. Yes. That, yes. that of, 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 and, and it's not, you know, that there's obviously not specific to women, but the vulnerability and tenderness and the ability to grieve, because I think that's been absolutely key to XR's success. You know, Roger brought some like mechanical systematization, and I was like, we've got to have really clear science and we need to name the need to feel this. This is a felt experience, this hurts. Yes. Uh, and let's not do it alone. You know, women know how to grieve together. Yeah, if you think about, you know, the most, you know, the funeral practices and things like that, it's always been groups of women together, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's more, my friend Skeena comes from a Kashmiri Muslim background and that, and they have a like a, an ongoing practice of grief. Uh, I, I obviously the the kind of white Western traditions puts a lid on some of that as well. So that's why it's it's really good to have all sorts of diversities there and uh, um, yeah, reconnect. I mean, that's the thing to focus on. If if there's a sense of separation or a sense of scarcity or a sense of powerlessness, a sense of blaming. Um, a sense that love's not in the room, then there's something that's not going to quite work. And really our work is to keep reconnecting with that peace. And thankfully, as there's an acceleration in the damage to the planet, there's also an acceleration in the understanding of how we can heal together. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and I think 
I mean, you know, I think, you know, the work that Extinction Rebellion has been so important in, 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 in helping people wake up to that. I mean, I, I saw, you know, I think that Google published that there was an over 4,000% 4, increase in, in, in people searching for um, how to live a more sustainable lifestyle at the beginning of, 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 of the kind of, you know, the COVID pandemic. And, you know, talk to us a little bit about kind of what, what Extinction Rebellion you know, aims to do, you know, and 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 the activities you're currently involved in, the ones yeah. that you talk about anyway. Thanks. And it's good to have a direct line on that because obviously a lot gets said about us and it's well, <laughs> yeah. quite often well, going to yeah, be so from the powers that be that don't want to see the change, right? It's some, yes. By no means we're perfect. We're a collection of messed up human beings like all, we all are. Uh, we're working on the tradition of, of civil disobedience, that change comes through disruption, um, that we're absolutely nonviolent. That's our, one mm -hmm. of our core principles and values, that we want to do this in a regenerative way, so not pushing ourselves into burnout. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but that's the, the intention. And so we um, undertake acts that one could consider to be potentially illegal, Except in in terms of the law, there is the concept of necessity or duress of circumstance that, in actual fact, uh, in order to um, you know save ourselves, we we may need to commit these acts, and there and and so when you go to court, you make the case that if you so choose, some people will just choose to plead guilty if you do get arrested and. Uh, by the way, not everybody who's involved in XR gets arrested. There's lots of behind the scenes work to be done. But um, you make the case that um, this was the only way and it's based in the history books. And we had seven activists earlier this year who had been at a shell building, who had broken windows, who put graffiti on there, including for Polly, for Polly Higgins, a Zika side work. And they were all acquitted by a jury of their peers, even though the judge said there was no defence in law because the jury of peers could see that they were honest, uh, committed people who tried everything else and, and knew that we're killing life on earth and shall unfortunately have been part of the, um, the misinformation machine. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and this is what I, I, I find, you know, I mean, I know we talked about, you know, the table and which table we want to be at, but it's kind of like, you know, if people are not heard, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, we carry on, you know? And it, it, it's sort of like, you know, for me, it's like, let's have this dialogue. You know, let's actually, an action. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, it's, it, it, this is happening. This is real. <laughs> this is not happening in 30 years. This is happening right now. And it's kind of like, you know, we we need to hear the stuff. We, we 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 you know, it shouldn't have to take people <laughs> doing these acts to, to actually, you know, kind of kind of actually even get people to take it seriously. I I I find it astonishing, and it I guess in a sense it reminds me of almost the kind of women's suffragette movement. You know that. Well, I mean, this is the you know this is the thing. We are in an age of insanity, and in, in terms of the the systems and processes that we're running the. In the Algonquin languages, they talk about Wetiko. It's a spell that we're under. And part of it is to keep us numb. The consumer capitalist society is uh, 
I even think it's a functional form of capitalism, actually. But, you know, it's it's to keep us consuming. There's over 600 billion spent annually advertising to us to get us to feel, you know, bad about ourselves and then to buy something. And um, since the Paris Climate Agreement, the banking system put 3.8 trillion of new money into new fossil fuel investments. 3.8 trillion. And so some of us have taken it. Like, you know, there are scientists with facts. I mean, this is not just like, it's like, look at the facts, you know? Yeah. Like, these agreed upon facts. And I mean, like, you know, in order to save this planet from, from, from catastrophic kind of, you know, meltdown. Well, I mean, the planet will be fine. It's just humanity and all living things that won't be around. But but so, so, so the thing is that you're saying about having this dialogue, you know, there have been lots of NGOs around that have t- tried for a long time to put on, I spoke to one of them uh, just yesterday, actually, been trying to put on the table for a long time, you know, the connection between the economic system and the financing of fossil fuels. And they were doing press releases and just a few days afterwards, some Extinction Rebellion people, including myself, took hammers to the windows of the banks in the spirit of the suffragettes. And we do it utterly peace in peace and in love and at times, of the, you know, early hours of the morning when nobody's going to get hurt. And some of us may go to jail because of it. Uh, we do feel like we're standing on the shoulders of of people like the suffragettes and the chartists before them. In fact, uh, Emmeline Panker said something like, in modern politics, there's no greater argument than that of the broken pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and these banks have brands and they have staff and those staff have kids and they want to feel that they're working for an honest company. And when you do that kind of action, it sends ripples through. And uh, a, a colleague of mine was recently at a conference and there was a head of sustainability from one of the banks who said, well, what you're doing is making my job easier, you know. So yeah. uh, we will get positioned as sort of extremists or whatever they want to call us. And like, honestly, you know, like <laughs> I've... Uh, have a PhD. I'm a intelligent enough woman. I, you know, the, the idea that I would think that breaking a window was the, was the smartest thing that I could do right now. But seriously, that's how yeah, I see I, it. And it's not that that's the only thing that needs to happen. No. Um, but I, I, I actually I put out a video when I did uh, the the window that I did, and I I intended it as a spell, as a spell breaking moment. Yeah. It's a piece of witchcraft. <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I mean, you know, it takes enormous courage to, 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 to do that, and you know, to also suffer the consequences. And I mean, I think that, you know, you, you I mean, you know, you personally have come under a lot of attack, you know, for <laughs> really doing something that, that, that. It's really trying to save the future of humanity. I find that extraordinary. Well, if you look up suffragettes, anti-suffragette propaganda, it was vicious. It's just part of the deal. And in terms of preparing for these times, I thought about what might happen. I pictured getting raided and it happened. You know, I pictured getting attacked in the media and it happened. And you just have to let it wash off you because it's just part of the deal and some of course it's a compliment it means that something's succeeding here you are 
Yeah, I mean, that's what Gandhi said, you know, he said first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they attack you and then you win. So we're in the attack phase. I mean, I would also like to say, you know, we're talking about arrests and me taking hammers to windows. I live in a, a privileged society as a white woman and there are environmental activists across the world. Over 200 get killed every year and those figures are going up. Um <laughs> We do have one of our activists, our first activist, uh, James Brown, who's a Paralympian, a visually impaired Paralympian who climbed on a, an aeroplane, who's been in prison, who's been, and, and that may not happen to others of us. And yeah, it's a thing. I mean, he's allowed out for two hours a week. Oh, bless him. You know, I, I do worry about my ability to, 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 to live like that. And there is the possibility of a, a jail sentence because I also broke the window at the Department for Transport um, and they've tried to pin some conspiracy charges out that I've not been, who knows if that's going to be charged fully. But yeah, I you know, there's there's that risk. So it's, it's kind of both a privilege and, and also, yeah, it does scare the hell out of me. It's not something that I'm longing to have happen is to go to jail. <laughs> but, you know. I'm sure not, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I mean, like, Girl, a lot of our listeners are, are, are interested. They've heard of Extinction Rebellion. You know, many want to get involved. I mean, I, I, I spoke to a, a, a friend of mine the other day and, you know, her, her, she was with her 14-year-old daughter and, you know, her 14-year-old daughter's been thinking about what she wants to do in her spare time, you know, and um, she came across some XR activists, some women <laughs> who were, you know, in, in her local high street. And she's like, mom, that's what I want to do. I, w- I want to be an activist. Mm. So, yeah, and, and she actually, you know, graciously went up to them and spoke to them and said, you know, I want to join. How do, how do I do that? Mm. So, so Gail, for, you know, <laughs> for people who've heard and, 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 and you know, want to, to get involved and want to be part of this change, what, what can they do? Yeah, there's lots of information on our website, uh, there's lots of different ways to be involved in Extinction Rebellion. Everybody's really, really welcome. Part of that is finding your own place within that, um, you know, from fundraising to sharing information in your community to organising meetings to sharing on social media. Uh, there's, there's lots and lots of work to be done. Um, we tend to have significantly focused periods of activity when we're fully on the streets and it's all the groundwork that happens in between times that really makes that possible and I, I guess I would say it's uh, in fact it was Jojo Mata that came up with this phrase of peaceful mischief you know mm-hmm. it, it can feel uh, like a challenge but it's also it comes from a place of um, of mischief <laughs> I would say there's like it doesn't have to be this really kind of angst angry ridden you know rebellious sort of uh energy angry energy it, it, it can it can have cheekiness in it and, and lightness and I think that that's part of what these times call for I think uh, John Lennon famously said that the powers that be can't cope with um humor and non-violence yes um, yeah, yeah, no, and, I, and I, I think for the, for the you know for young women listening to this, um, the one of the first places of reconnection of regeneration is to trust your intelligence. Yeah, um, and 
and to build relationships of trust with other young women. And like, it's not always possible, you know, there can be real wounds in the sisterhood of uh, discord. And I know I've met some young women that are really feeling the pain around the climate and ecological emergency and aren't, you know, sometimes you might need to reach outside your immediate peer group for the other young people that are feeling that. Um, it's it's so important in my view not to feel alone with this and we've got some you know brilliant activists um, out there and young young activists so inspiring and um, yeah um, really trusting yourself and your own intelligence yeah Yeah, I I think that's such good advice I think all of us um, intuitively know and um, it's it's about hearing that and and then acting on it which is really the key yeah yeah oh Gail honestly it has been just such a kind of joyful and humbling experience to 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 speak to you thank you for all you're doing you know I, I I really feel like you know on behalf of you know the current generation but the generations to 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 come you know because you know I think that um you know, without you and without, you know, the work that you do, I, I think a lot of this would just be, I don't know, overridden completely. So thank you for creating the noise and thank you for your courage and really for, for thinking about, you know, all of humanity and, and, and all life on earth and how important it is to continue. So bless you for, for everything you do. Well, wasn't that an extraordinary, moving, inspiring and touching conversation? I mean, what Gail is doing is just extraordinary and, and is such service to the whole of humanity and all living things. So tomorrow uh, we're going to be changing the pace slightly and we're moving on to the extraordinary A.Y. Young, who is a musician activist and creator of the Battery Tour. You will find him extraordinarily lively in every single way uh, and just an astonishing kind of voice for climate change. And he's also the UN Young Global Leader for the Americas. And I know how much you're going to enjoy meeting him. 